Today's theme, I guess, is leaving a legacy. And so the questions that I, I pose is, we are, when we are passing on from this life, what will we leave behind? Joke, Jacob shows us how to finish well by remembering the past, blessing the present, and looking forward to the future. Jacob hasn't had a great track record, as we read about him, as we study about him. If you look back through your Bible, there's not a ton of characters that do have a great track record. You're like, well, what about King David? Uh, he's got more written about him of negative things than he does positive things. Uh, the only one that we really see, you see Daniel has a really good track record. You see Joseph has a pretty good track record as well as following the Lord. But this passage is really about Jacob. It's about Jacob, and this might be the only time you kind of see Joseph get a little ticked off at his dad. Um, is in this passage that we're going to read today in Genesis chapter 48. So if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be there shortly. It strikes me as we have studied the life of Jacob after Joseph has come back into it, we see a great example of living in Christ. And we have, a rem as I remarked in the past, how Joseph has set the example of Jesus Christ and what it should look like throughout this passage. He's done a really good job of that. And Jacob shows us a life of a sinner that has led to redemption. Last week we saw how he was a good steward. He was a good steward of his time, talent, and treasure. We talked about, excuse me, just a couple of those last week. But stewardship, stewardship comes in a life of worship, and we talked about that quite a bit. So we see Christian qualities displayed in Joseph, in his brothers, and in Jacob, their father. And last week, we talked about this idea of stewardship, and that it starts with surrender. And then it reflects the life of a servant of Christ Jesus. Those are important. This week, it continues on with Jacob showing us how to pass on a legacy to the next generation. If you notice this, we have... Jacob is one of the, the last of his family to really warm up to the idea that I need to surrender my life to the Lord because he's been dealing with the sorrow of his son Joseph passing away for such a long time. And it took him a long time to come out of that sorrow, which was kind of inflicted by 11 of the brothers, right? Well, you could probably say 10 even of the brothers. So we get to Genesis chapter 48, and it's near the end of the story, and it really kind of reflects, it, it talks about Jacob for the rest of the story, and Joseph is interweaved in there too, but it's mostly about Jacob. As we wrap up his story, we see how he passes on a good legacy. It says in verse 1, it says, one day, not long, not long after this, the word came to Joseph, your father is failing rapidly. So Joseph went to visit his father, and he took with him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And when Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up in his bed. Jacob said to Joseph, Almighty God appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful, and I, and I will multiply your descendants and I will make you a multitude of nations, and I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Okay? So when, so when Jacob leaves his house, the house of Laban, 
and he escapes from his father-in-law, and he comes into the promised land. God meets him, and he promises him all these things. As we go along, we see many things that have gone on, but Jacob has got to look back quite a few years to remember some of the blessings, and that was one of the blessings that God spoke to him directly, and Jacob remembers this blessing, and he passes it on to Joseph and his two sons. Now, Jacob had come out of his father-in-law's house, right? He had 12 sons. He had one daughter and he had four, we'll call them wives, right? Uh, two wives and kind of concubines. I'm not really sure what you would call them. Um, they're servants of, of his two wives. And there's a lot of things that went along with that. And it was lots of ups, lots of downs. Jake, Jacob didn't really put his foot down very well. And as you see that happening, you see his family kind of go into chaos. Uh, his, his daughter gets raped. You see um, two of the sons wipe out the whole village after they trick him into something that was sacred to the Lord. You should go get circumcised. Now when you've gotten circumcised, we're going to kill you. And so God didn't really shine favorably upon that. Jacob alludes to that a little bit here in the next few chapters. And then they go on and they Really, they become lazy. We see rape and mass murder and sexual immorality all pointing to the house of Jacob is turning away from the Lord and that there needs to be an intervention. And I think that's part of the reason why when we have Joseph standing up for what's right and, and declaring God's word in the household, um, it wasn't received well by, by 10 of the brothers. Yet, God still restores their house because God was faithful. Even though they were tired, they were worn, God restores the house. The best person in this story that is living out a God-honoring lifestyle is Joseph's son, or Jacob's son, Joseph. He's doing a good job, and what's he get as a result of it? He gets thrown in his cistern, sold into slavery, taken down to Egypt, and um, thrown in jail down there. For quite a few years, he's in this system, right? And it's heartbreaking. You see Joseph trying to follow the Lord, and he's like, God, where are you at? Yet God is sustaining him. God is blessing him along the way. He even sees it in jail. He sees it while he's in charge of Potiphar's house, and, and he's done a good job of this. So my question, as I read this passage and as I'm studying it, is why is Jacob giving Joseph this instruction when most of the time it's been Joseph instructing Jacob? One, I think it's because Joseph's gotten back to his roots. Joseph has been reminded what God has done, and I think he's learned that lesson a little bit better than his son Joseph has, Jacob has. So Jacob is passing this lesson on to Joseph because his grandsons are there as well. His grandsons need to remember this is what has gone on. Don't forget. Remember why you were born in Egypt. Remember why you weren't born in the land of Canaan. And this is why it needs to go through. And Jesus, like Moses did to the children of Israel when they were going into the promised land, we have, they knew the commandments, but it seems like they were 
born to wander. And they were prone to leave the God they loved. And God knows that. So he's going to send his son Jesus. But we haven't seen that yet. And so God sends these commands. And as he goes, he, he resets the family, the house of Israel. He does that throughout with prophets. He does it through Moses. He does it through Jacob. And he does it through Joseph in a big way. And they're like us. We're prone to wander, aren't we? We're prone to leave the God we love. So Moses gave this command in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9, and it's just as relevant to us today. It's a timeless thing. It's called the Shema. It's a prayer that the Jewish people would read every day. And it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to those commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again on, to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on the forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Pass them on to the next generation and the generation after that. Why do you think Jacob has his son there and two of his grandsons? He's passing them on just as he has learned as well. So what are we supposed to pass on? We're supposed to pass on that we're supposed to love God. How are we supposed to love God? We're supposed to love God with our all, with our everything. What does that mean? Have you ever... So if... We want to know how to love God with our all. Let's look at it a little bit from the opposite. Have you ever seen somebody love something half-heartedly? Maybe it's the, their job. Maybe it's their kids. Maybe it's their, something they take for granted that they have and they don't necessarily have all the way. So maybe you notice a coworker that's only doing their job half-heartedly, and so you're picking up their slack, and so you recognize what it means to do wholeheartedly because you're doing one and a half, and they're doing a half. Maybe it's... So since we can recognize a half of an effort, we have an idea what a full effort is, right? We can see that somebody's slacking off. They're obviously not doing a full effort. There's expectations that go along with that. So we have a pretty good idea of what a full effort looks like. And when we commit our life wholeheartedly to the Lord, this means we walk in faith. What's it mean to walk in faith? It means to walk out into the unknown and to move to the next step. We, our culture will say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. God's culture says you'll see it when you believe it. Because that's the definition of faith, isn't it? It really is. So these are some of the tools that we have for us today. So we need to review the lessons of life that we have learned from the Bible. Why do we have these stories? So we can learn and not have to go through them ourselves. Well, we may say, well, you know, I'm just the kind of person that has to go through it to learn it. Well, I would say that you're a little bit foolish. Okay? Because if God says don't go through it to learn it, there's a way to learn it out by not going through it, then you should probably try to learn that way first, right? And 
that is what I tell myself a lot when I'm going through it, right? Well, the Lord said not to do this, and now I'm going right through it like I'm not supposed to. Well, I'm one of those singings believing in, one of the, in these situations. And we ask God to forgive us, and he's faithful and he's just, and he does that, and he removes us from that, that unrighteousness from us and allows us to walk back with him. So if we're supposed to live our lives as Jesus did, how do we know what Jesus lived? And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we need to be in the, those often, if not the whole word of God. And if you don't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to be in those daily until you have a good concept of what that means, until living your life as Jesus did. 1 John 2, 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, right? That's the one that's got that nice rhythm to it. Said that Thursday and Sawyer belted it out for me. I was like, yeah, good job, buddy. Review the lesson. It says to pass these on to your kids and the next kids and the kids after, right? There's an, there's an, not only are you going to set the example of how to live, but you're going to pass that example on to your kids children and your children's children so if if you can pass a good example on to your kids isn't it safe to say that we can pass a bad example on to our kids as well parents here we know when you look at your kids and you're like you're you're i get tend to get upset with them and i'm like Lord's like, well, what are you getting upset with them for? You did the exact same thing. This is just personified. You can hide it a little bit better. And I'm like, touche, Lord, touche. I see what you did there. <laughs> That's right. That's why we have mini-me's, right? So we need to look at it from all angles. We need to look at the problem from every point of view, and that we should be in regular conversation in our household so we're telling our kids, this is what I struggled with. This is what I've gone through. And if you want to break out of this, there's a way to do this. I think this is hard for us to do, men, especially. It's hard for us to review our failures. Uh, I was talking to the boys about girls not too long ago. And uh, that's a hard conversation for me to have, right? That's something that I struggle with. And so... To pass that on, I don't want to pass that struggle down, but I also want to warn them that I struggle with this. And you'll probably struggle with this too. And I'm glad you're struggling with girls and not boys because that's where our culture is going today. We even had that conversation. So it's okay, you know. Um, at least we got one thing right. We just got to have it tempered correctly, right? It's nice to have a sword, but if it shatters when we go to use it, it's useless. But if we have a sword that works and functions as it's supposed to, then we have the correct mix of what it's supposed to be in there, right? So Satan doesn't only just take something that is good and distort it. Sometimes he takes something that is good, and it's good in context, but he makes it weak, so it doesn't mean it's useless, right? So it's okay to come to church. It's okay to look good at church, but if you don't live out your week, you become weak. Ah, good old English language. It helped me out there. <laughs> so we're, think about what are we passing on? What are we taking to our, what do we want to show to our next kids? And I, I, this screams, this Ecclesiastes, it just screams it to me. 
Solomon gets to the end of his life and he says it's all meaningless. And if I don't put some effort into following the Lord, it's going to be all worthless. I'm going to have nothing to show for, my, for me. How many people have gone and seen Solomon's temple that he built? I'm just fixing my hair because it's not there anymore, right? The only thing that we have left of Solomon is the stories that he's left in the scriptures, right? So God's word that he chose to use Solomon to use have become books of wisdom for us to understand how to live life, how to start life, how to be married, how to do a relationship, and many things in between there. So when we're passing on from this life, what will we leave behind? Jacob shows us how to finish well by remembering the past and blessing the present and looking towards the future. Genesis chapter 48, 5 through 16 says, Now I am claiming as my sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. Those are his two firstborn, right? So he's putting them in prominence. But any children born to you in the future will be your own. They will inherit and land within the territories of their brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh. Long ago, as I was returning from Padan Aram, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. We were still on the way and some distance from Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So with great sorrow, I buried her there beside the road of Ephrath. Then Jacob looked over at the two boys. Are these your sons? He asked. Yes, Joseph said to him. These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so I can bless them. Jacob was half blind because of his age and could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys close to him and Jacob kissed them and embraced them. And then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again, but now God has let me see your children too. Joseph moved the boys to where who, the boys who were on their grandfather's knees, and he bowed with his face to the ground, and then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim toward Jacob's left hand, and with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his hands as he reached out and laid his hands on the boys' heads, and he put, he put his hand on the head of Ephraim. Though he was the younger boy, and he left his left hand on Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. And then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God, may the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac. May their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. Praise God for his word. Jacob blesses the present and the future. God is our shepherd. Jacob is foreshadowing the coming of the Messiah, and God will come and be our shepherd, and he is preparing the way 
for the nations. Now we see this blessing that comes. We see him cross his hand. We're going to talk about that in the next point. But here I really wanted to focus on verse 15 and 16 because it's the blessing there that is important. Jesus, we see, is our good shepherd. And this is a foreshadowing of what is to come. And Jesus says this about his heavenly assignment. In John chapter 10, verses 14 through 18, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life, so I may take it back up again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and to also to take it up again, for this is what the Father has commanded. Wow. That's a powerful statement there. I have the authority to take and give my life up when I want to and to take it up again when I want to because God has given me this authority. That's a powerful statement we see in the book of John right before um, Satan tries to take his life for good and he cannot do it, can he? What do we know from this statement? Being a shepherd, it means leading leading by example. It means taking care of sheep. It means taking care of those who can't take care of themselves all the time. And we see a lot of love in that, don't we? Have you ever seen that video on the internet? No, some of you haven't. This guy's gone right alongside his fence row. He's dug this long trench, and it looks like he's probably putting electrical right in there. And the sheep is stuck in the bottom of this trench. And it's about, I don't know, 14 inches wide. And that sheep is stuck right in there. So its wool is wedged it in there. It's fine, it's, but its legs aren't hitting the ground. And it's just stuck in there. And the, the guy, he is working to get that sheep out of that trench. And he works and he works. And finally, the third tug, he grabs that thing up and he throws it up onto the bank. And that sheep takes three steps and jumps right back in the trench. And I'm just like, sometimes that describes me, right? The Lord works and works and works me out of the muck and the mire. And I sets me up on the firm ground and I take three steps and I jump right back into the trench. The Lord bless me because certainly I would fail if he didn't. We all can be like that, can't we? Get up, get going and Go right back into it. That's why it's important to study the Savior. You know, that song we sang this morning, Warn, it talks about that. And if we don't walk with Jesus in the way he wants us, um, if we don't see the struggle, um, we're right back in it again. And we're in trouble. Verse 16 says, May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. May their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. This passage 
I was listening to Baruch this week and see what he had to say about 48. He says that would be better translated something similar to fishers of men, which is interesting. As I listen to that, where do we see this? We see this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It says, again, we see it when Peter is moved to follow Jesus full time. When he says, go out and fish out into the deep water. And he says, but we haven't caught anything all night. But since you said to, we will go ahead and do it. Since you said to do it, we'll go ahead and do that. And he gets done and he realizes that he is in the presence of Almighty God, the Messiah, and he says, I can't be in your presence. I am a sinner. Get away from me. And he doesn't say it in a way of he's disgusted. He says it in a way of that he's fearful of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says one of the biggest, most commanded statements in the Bible, it's the second one actually, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people, which is translated the same way, and he would recognize that right away as this blessing that Jacob gave to Joseph. Now that Jacob is back in sync with the Lord, he is able to hear the Holy Spirit, and he's able to foresee the future just like his son Joseph is, foreshadowing the calling of the apostles and God making the way clear for each one of us. This is the legacy that has been passed on. Continue on, verse 17 through 22, to finish up the chapter. It says, But Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, so Joseph placed it, it to, Joseph lifted it to move it to Ephraim's head, to Manasseh's head. No, my father, he said, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. I know, my son, I know. He replied, Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother will become even greater. His descendants will become like a multitude of nations. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, May God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh, and Jacob said to Joseph, Look, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will take you back to Canaan, the land of your ancestors. And beyond what I have given your brothers, I am giving you an extra portion of land that I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. Bless with a purpose. Jacob switches his hands and he blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. Why? Well, it could be because he was the younger of the two brothers, as was Jacob, right? That, that's part of the reason. We see this often, actually, in the Bible, but there's more to it than that. We see Ephraim was the secondborn, and, and Jacob gave him the firstborn's blessing. Joseph is upset, but Jacob reassures Joseph that he is in his right mind. 
he meant to do this. I understand. We know what we're going to do. And it's been done with a purpose. So what's that purpose? When I see something like this, I want to know why. We have to look back at Genesis chapter 41 to see the answer to this. If you look at verse 51 and 52, it reads like this. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Manasseh, the base of his name, means to forget. And Jacob says, I don't want you to forget. Look what God has done through your trials. Look what he's done through your tribulations. Look at what he has made you to be. To forget the trials and tribulations is to forget the way the Lord has forged you into the man you are today, Joseph. Jacob is saying to his son, don't forget your past. Don't forget the pain. God has used it for his good for your good, for the good of the people of Canaan and Egypt. If you didn't go through the process, nobody else would be here as well. Remember how you were forged. This is a good principle for us today. We'll see this next week. We'll see how Jacob or Joseph doesn't retaliate after his dad dies. He doesn't send them all to prison after his dad dies. He says, nothing's going to change. The blessing that my father has given me a few weeks ago, I am also, I'm going to hold it up. Nothing's different. And remember Ephraim, his base of his name means to be fruitful. That's what their commandment was to do in Egypt. Be fruitful. The past was pain and suffering. As for the future, we will be fruitful. We will walk with the Lord. He will provide for us. He will allow us to prosper in his grace. We will find rest for our weary souls. He will sustain us in our times of trials. If we stay connected to him, we pursue his way, his truth, and his righteousness, which will give us life. It's interesting to pursue that fruitfulness. How do they do? We get to read ahead. Look at Exodus. Do they stay following the Lord? No, they're starting to follow the practices of the Egyptians, aren't they? You'll notice if you read ahead into Exodus, we might come back here too pretty soon. But we're going to go to Ephesians next. When you look at this, I noticed the first 10, we have 10 plagues, right? The first four plagues, the house of Israel goes through just like the Egyptians have to because God's calling them out, calling them to be separate. So God will use tough times to discipline his people. We've seen that at White Rose. We've seen that as individuals. We've seen that in Joseph's life, haven't we? But what it, what it comes down to is this. 
This passage is about leaving a legacy, right? So what kind of legacy do we want to leave? And as my aha moment for this passage of Scripture came yesterday as I'm looking back on, thinking back on the youth group that we've gone through and and the blessings that we've had with kids that have gone through here and that we get to uh, pass it on and pay it forward. The identity that they have now will be the legacy that is passed on in the future. What they invest their time, their talent, and their treasure in now will be what they pass on later on. What they're excited about, what they are, they want, when their grandkids ask them, well, what, what did you leave behind? What, did you, what mark did you leave? And they're going to have to go back and look at what did they invest in? Did they invest in their families? Did they invest in their friendships? Did they invest in their community, their church family? What did they invest in? Because those investments are going to be the legacy that they pass on to their kids in lessons learned and in reputation gained. You ever think about that? Your reputation is going to pass on to your kids and your parents have passed on to you. You know, there's people in here that I've talked to, people in the community, and they said, well, so-and-so's their last names. They don't have the best reputation in this community. And I said, well, this one's different. Isn't that awesome? God has rescued us out. He's brought us. He's lifted us up. That is so cool. I'm so excited about that. Praise God. Because when we are passing on from this life, we've got to ask ourselves, what are we going to leave behind? What legacy are we going to leave? Jacob shows us how to finish well by remembering the past, blessing the present, and looking to the future. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for being a blessing to each one of us. We thank you for this church family. Lord, as you accept us after we sin, we see that acceptance in this church family after people come back out of a bout of sin. We thank you for the hardworking families here. We thank you for the tenacity that we have. We thank you for the coming alongside of one another to build a community inside this church so that we can reflect the love of Christ to the community outside of this church. Lord, we find our rest in you. We find our comfort in you. And we want to set examples. We want to be disciple makers of you. So Heavenly Father, thank you for giving each one of us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our paths, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.